Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us for tonight's vBrown Bag. I'm your host, Tom Green, and we're going to discuss Windows Server 2019 as part of our Azure series that is currently going on. Uh, our host, our guest tonight will be Thomas Maurer, and he will be presenting on that. However, before we get started, we'd like to uh, do a little homework. So we're a very interactive and responsive podcast. We'd love to have you talk to us. Uh, you can hit us up at vbrownbag or any of the uh, international ha hashtags. Uh, we use hashtag vbrownbag to, to do all the discussion. Someone will get back to you and answer your question and make sure everything is good for you. Our schedule is up to date on vbrownbag.com slash brownbags. Uh, so go ahead and sign up for our, our list, get your emails and come learn. Uh, with that out of the way, I'll go ahead and hand it over to Thomas. Uh, are you ready? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Tom. Let's make you the presenter here. All right. Yeah, show my screen. Let me know if that works. Yep, perfect. I see your presentation. Uh, Perfect. Thank you very much, Tom. So, yeah, my name is Thomas Maurer. I work as a cloud advocate at Microsoft. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about Windows Server 2019, um, especially about hybrid cloud, and you can connect Windows Server 2019. But I'm also going to talk a lot about all the new stuff uh, we have in there, um, talk about hyper-converged, virtualization, and, 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 and a lot of other stuff we have. Uh, to show you. Um, however, one hour obviously is not enough to cover everything we do, but I hope to give you a very nice uh, overview about it. So, let me switch here. Uh, just a sec. Um, before I want to start with um, with like what's new in Windows Server 2019, uh, I also want to give you a little bit of an overview about um, Windows Server as a service, if you will. Um, there have been many releases right now, like different names, 1709, um, and, and much, much more. And then we have things called the SEC releases and the LTSC releases. And, and in terms of you don't work with it every day, you can get a little bit of com uh, confused, right? So I try to clear this up a little bit in the next couple of slides that I want to show you here. So first of all, we have obviously the LTSC releases, which are called the long-term servicing which is called the long-term servicing channel, um, which was renamed from the long-term servicing branch. And these are basically the normal Windows Server releases, um, like Windows Server 2012, 2012R2, Windows Server 2016, Windows Server 2019 as well. But these are basically the major long-term um, servicing channel releases we have in Windows Server. However, we now also have the CME annual channel. Now, with the semi-annual channel, we um, provide, as, it, as the name says, like two versions of Windows Server um, every year. And this is mainly due to the innovation which is happening in, in different platforms, especially containers, right? Um, if you're working with containers today, you know that things are changing so fast that we cannot just wait for an operating system for another three years to release, to bring all those new features to life. So we have the semi-annual channel um, uh, releases 
and they are especially focused on application innovation, if you will, which says like, again, uh, can be containers, but everything on the, as an application platform. And I'm going to show you a little bit more why, what the differences are here. Um, so when we look at the long-term servicing channel, um, then again, we have, this is basically the long-term servicing branch for the major version of Windows Server as we know it um, for a couple of years now, or maybe even decades. And then we have the semi-annual channel, um, which as I said, delivers basically um, functionality at a, a cloud cadence, right? And especially now, as I mentioned, with the container investments. The LTSC release is released uh, every two to three years, while the, obviously, while the semi-annual channel releases get released twice a year. So you have a fall and the spring release, um, same as you're familiar probably with the Windows 10 release cycle, right? Um, they're even heavily um, combined, so attached to each other. And then with the LTSC release, you get basically five plus five years support. Um, and with the semi-annual release today, we only do like 18 months. I know that Windows and Office went a little bit up. Um, I haven't seen anything, any changes yet in support statements for uh, Windows Server. So this is really a fast platform. So after 18 months, you won't get any updates for those semi-annual channel releases. In that case, that means that uh, you need to skip to, to switch to a newer version of Windows Server. Um, and if you look at the environment, what's also very important to know, um, you can also mix it, right? There is no reason why you cannot have both, right? If you don't make the whole uh, decision on, okay, I want to run um, LTSC, um, and then everything needs to be LTSC, or I want to run SAC, and everything needs to be SAC. Um, you can really mix and match. So for example, for your fabric environments, for your uh, Hyper-V servers, for your hyper-converged systems, um, for your Active Directory servers today, for example, um, you would run LTSC. But then if you run some container applications, um, then you would go basically and install a couple of servers with the SAC releases to get the advantage of the latest and greatest features uh, we have there. So what I, if you look at the graphical design here, I like, I like, to be honest, I like graphics. And so to explain that, this is a very good uh, explanation. So for example, we start here with Windows Server 2012. I obviously we go way back, but Windows Server 2012 and 2012 are two were the first LTSC releases. Um, or well, not the first ones, but they were LTSC releases. And again, supported five plus five years. With Windows Server 2016, we had released um, server with desktop experience and server core, which were also an LTC release. However, we had released something called Nano Server, which was then called uh, Nano Server and released in the CBB1, which was the current branch for business, and was basically the first release, um, which only was supported again, like for this uh, 18 months. And after that, Nano server as a server installation was not supported anymore. However, today we still have Nano server as a container image. Just so there's no confusion, um, you, with the first release of Nano server, we were also able to install it directly on servers, on virtual machines, or uh, on physical boxes. Uh, and today it's basically just a Nano server image, which which is left of that. 
And then um, we had releases with Windows Server version 1709, 1803, and 1809. Those were all SACT releases, right? Those were all releases um, we, which were only supported for 18 months. And then obviously there will be probably a version, uh, Windows Server version 1903, um, also again with 18 months support. However, but in the same time uh, we had Windows version, uh, Windows Server version 1809, we also released Windows Server 2019. So and that then was a LTSC release. And again, this one is supported five plus five years. So this is basically the next major version uh, we have right now uh, out there. So there's also a lot of talk about when I speak to people, like a lot of versions that we talk about in code names and numbers. So we have 2016, we have things called uh, RS1, 1709. So what I'm actually, what are we talking about, right? So I created this quick overview um, with the Windows versions and also some of the Windows Server versions in there. So the first release of Windows 10 basically was called Threshold 1. That was the code name for it. And it was version 1507, right? And then you had the build number there. And this was a client-owned release. The same for Threshold 2, which was then called Windows 10 November Update um, and version 1511. And then we had the first Redstone release Redstone 1, which also was a Windows Server release called, in that, in, that, in that case, we called it Windows Server 2016, and it was the Windows 10 anniversary update at the same time. Going forward, then we had Redstone 2, which again was just a Windows 10 client release, and then um, the, this was then the, the RS3 release was the first Windows Server semi-annual channel release. Um, during the same time as the fall, create this update of Windows um, 10. And from that on, we always had the same annual channel releases for Windows Server. So we had 18.03, and then obviously we had 18.09, which was at the same time as Windows Server 2019. Um, and this basically one is the latest um, release which is out there right now, uh, which also, by the way, is the last code name with Redstone 5. Uh, you probably have seen that we now switch to things like 19H1, which makes it much easier to understand when that release will be or which release that actually is instead of the RS345. Um, so with that, uh, Windows Server 2019 obviously is available, so you can download it today. You can log in in your MSDN volume license portal uh, or the evaluation portal and go out and download um, the Windows uh, 2019 um, releases. Uh, there's also something, as you can see, which is pretty new. Um, we always had like essential and the language packs, etc. But we also have the feature on demand. And I will talk a little bit about later what that actually is. It's a small package um, for Windows Server Core to extend it. Good. So let's talk a little bit about our story here. Um, we have with our hybrid story um, we have here. Obviously we have Azure as our um, public cloud offering, and then we have different hybrid offerings, if you will. We have the hybrid cloud offering, which is basically Azure Stack, um, which is basically an appliance you can put in your data center, uh, which gives you a subset of the Azure features 
in your data center or in your on-premises location. However, this is not the only hybrid approach we have, right? If you're running Windows Server, if you're running SQL or other technologies from Microsoft or even from our partners, you can still use, uh, leverage the hybrid cloud benefits, right? You can still connect them up um, to Microsoft Azure and leverage different features and technologies which make your life easier, even though the systems run on-premises. So let me quickly talk a little bit about that a little bit more. So in Windows Server 2019, if we want to, um, like, we can take all the, the features and innovations we had and basically put it in four categories. So the first category I call, we call, I call the hybrid one. So this is the hybrid categories where we have a lot of investments happening um, to basically make your life easier if you're running Windows Server locally, but you want to connect it up to Azure. And then we did a ton of work in the hyper-converged infrastructure space, meaning Hyper-V, storage spaces, direct, and a bunch of other technologies, also software-defined networking, which got improved in that release as well. And then, obviously, a big chunk was also security. Um, there is a ton of things happening in security. I will speak about two things I'm going to mention. However, there is much, much more in this release. Um, but just time prevents me like <laughs> to talk about everything in there. And then we obviously talk about the application innovation. This is basically all the rest we do on top of it. This also includes containers uh, and things like that, um, which we worked heavily on in the cloud, or the teams worked heavily on the last couple of months and years uh, on those technologies. So let's start first with the innovation we did in the hybrid space. Um, and before I'm going to start talking about that, because what really enables that is the Windows Admin Center. And I'm not sure if you heard of it. I hope you heard of it before. Uh, the Windows Admin Center is a new web-based Windows Server management tool. Uh, it can also manage Windows clients and clusters and hyper-converged clusters. And it basically was first designed to just do remote management of your systems and replace those uh, local-only tools, for example, your MMCs and things like that, um, which you had um, on your system. So, for example, you needed to log in uh, for device manager. You had to make, open an RDP connection, log into that system, open up device manager. Now, with Windows Admin Center, we can basically do that over uh, HTML5-based portal, right? And it, this this admin portal is basically free. You get it if you run Windows Server, just download it out for free, uh, and you can start using to manage it on uh, like to manage your Windows servers. And this also enables a lot of the hybrid scenarios, and that's going to show you a little bit. So, what hybrid scenarios are we talking about? Um, there is a couple of things happening in that space, and again, this is not just designed for um, very large deployments or deployments who just use cloud or um, it really mixes up things. So you can use Windows Admin Center without using cloud at all, but you can also use it easily to connect um, your services, as I mentioned. And if I talk about, I'll talk about things like the Azure Network Adapter, which I'm going to show you a little bit in a demo later. Um, this allows you basically to uh, create an encrypted network connection to one of your virtual networks running in Azure directly from your server uh, without setting up a VPN appliance or anything. And then 
We have Azure Site Recovery. This allows you to replicate uh, virtual machines to Azure for disaster or migration scenarios. Uh, we have Azure Backup, and this obviously backs up your data to Azure, so you can do long-term backups or replace your basically your tape libraries. Uh, update management of your system, which is an orchestrated engine, an orchestrator engine, which basically updates all your systems, and you can manage those systems. Doesn't really matter if it's Windows or Linux. Um, but Windows Admin Center, in our case, just simply integrates into that. And so you can just connect it, connect your server you're managing simply to do your update management solution. And then another great thing uh, I have to mention, um, I love that, that feature a lot, is the Azure FileSync. Uh, Azure FileSync is basically there to help you synchronize your file servers. So if you have multiple locations, um, with file servers and you want to keep a sync on all of them and, and keep them in sync, um, you can do that using Azure FileSync. So you basically sync up your file server data um, to an Azure file share and from there you sync it down to other servers um, or basically sync it like obviously it's a two-way sync um, or multiple syncs if you will um, with the cloud. So if someone changes the file in your office uh, in, in New York, um, and someone opens up uh, or changes another file in Seattle, those files get, get synchronized. So let's have a look at one of the hybrid demos. Um, I think demos are always most fun, so let's quickly switch here into my demo environment. I'm running here a Windows Server 2019 server. Um, this is basically just one single server um, and I did not really do anything except for patch it. And I also installed Windows Admin Center here. I already connected to that local server. And you can see here, I get some uh, basic information um, about that system, as I would expect from a server manager. I also have some nice graphs, um, what is going on um, to see like if there's any traffic over the network or any CPU utilization. Um, I can also go and see, I have here this local only um, tools, for example. So again, I want to show you device manager. So I have a web-based UI um, for device manager where you can then enable disabled devices or you can also update drivers in a web portal. And again, in my case now here, I installed it on the server directly. However, if I go here, I can also connect um, to remote servers, right? So I can add here servers, Windows 10 PCs, clusters, or hyperconverged clusters. So if I go to servers, I'm not gonna do that right now, but I could add another remote server and I don't have to install it on every single server. I just need to install it once uh, on one of my systems to basically run the UI and the gateway. And in the back end, it will use PowerShell remote management to manage these systems, right? So whenever I do an action, um, this will this will basically run there. I also have other things here. So those are basically called extensions. So I have multiple extensions here um, for for different things. I also can browse files directly from the web UI. I can then, for example, download and upload files, rename files, and manage those systems. Um, I can also go and basically open up a web-based registry editor, which I think is pretty cool. Um, so to do a remote registry management or even a local one, you can do that directly from here. 
if you need to so do Thomas, something, which is, yes. Uh, before we get off this step, uh, what's the oldest server that this can, um, can manage? Um, I think today we're going down to 2012 um, R2. I think we were discussing, I'm not sure if you fully support 2012 yet, but definitely 2012 R2, 2016, and 2019. That's what we support to as a, a service to manage um, in that scenario. And, and do any special services need to be enabled on the uh, servers that are being managed, or is that by default being used? Very good question. So no, there's, it's very simple. Uh, the only thing you need to enable is PowerShell remoting, but the installer, um, when you install the application, it's basically just the next, next uh, finish wizard. And it also asks you at the end if you want to enable um, PowerShell remoting. However, if you want to do a little bit of an advanced setup, um, you can see here, for example, I have a certificate error because I use a self-signed certificate. You can obviously create your own certificates uh, to, to use that, so you don't have that error. Um, and you can also uh, install it in a highly available manner. So if you want to have that and you really use that as your main management solution, um, you can basically make that highly available as well. However, that said, it's not important that it's running, right? If, if my Windows Admin Center goes down, all the other servers, they run uh, as before, right? They don't, they don't have no dependencies on that. I just not, I'm just not able to log into that admin portal anymore. Perfect, does that make sense? Good, so the next things I want to add here, and just keep the questions coming uh, again, uh, I think, uh, um, it's always good to answer those questions. Uh, there's a lot of more in there. And one thing, another thing I want to quickly highlight, uh, I don't have time to go through all of these, but one of them is PowerShell. So I can do a directly remote PowerShell web session here um, in that system. Um, so I don't, uh, if, if there's anything which is not, cannot be done with one of these extensions, I can do that with PowerShell. And there's even a remote desktop uh, Connection. So I will have a web page here inside the HTML5 browser. I will be able to do a remote desktop connection to that system. I'm not going to do that right now with my local only system because it will not work because it will be a local loop and, and that will not work. But if I do that with a remote system, it's going to work just fine. Uh, again, you can see I have update management and other things here. However, what I want to show you actually is the hybrid services connectivity. So I already did a setup for this. And so you can see it will tell you uh, what you can do here, um, that you can meet uh, your on-premise systems here in the cloud. Um, just load that for a bit. The only thing I did before was in this Windows Admin Center, I did set register my system already with Azure. So, um, it already has access to my Azure subscriptions, and so I can start using Azure services directly uh, from my from my cloud. Good. And again, there are a couple of services I mentioned those before, and I quickly want to show you something, and that's the Azure Network Adapter. So I'm running here a VM uh, in Azure. Um, it only has a private IP, so it has 10.0.0.4. Um, so when I ping that from my local server here, I'm obviously not able uh, to connect to that VM, right? 
why would I? I mean, this runs in Azure, in the virtual network in Azure, and my VM is just running here on my local system. However, if I go into the network management here, I can go and say, I want to create a new Azure network adapter, right? And this will then uh, go out and create that point-to-side VPN to your, um, to your Azure Virtual Network. So if I click on it, let's see if that works, um, because I did it already, so I just want to show you that the wizard. So you can see, okay, this is the description I want to set it up. This is the Azure region I want to connect to. I then want to select, let's say I go to West Europe. You will then be see that I have a different virtual networks here. And if I already have a gateway, you can see the fields already grayed out. If I don't have a gateway in that virtual network, so let's, for example, uh, pick this one on here, then I can configure the gateway, the VPN gateway, which runs in Azure uh, directly from Windows Admin Center. And if I click Create, this will start creating uh, everything in Azure, as well as the point-to-site VPN using the different certificates I need. So I did that already, um, and I just want to connect. So again, just as a quick reminder, I'm not able to connect to that server. So if I now go in here and I connect using that Azure Network Adapter, it will create that point-to-site VPN. You can see the connection is successful, and I can now access that server running in Azure. Uh, this is great. Think about scenarios where you have probably a single server or like two and three servers uh, running in a branch office or in one location, or just one single server needs access to the Azure VMs, and you don't have the, the infrastructure, you don't have a, v, a physical VPN gateway or anything in place to basically create a site-to-site -site VPN connectivity. Uh, so this is a very simple and easy way to create that connection for that specific system. And then obviously I can also go and disconnect that again. Um, and you will see I'll be disconnected from that system. Good. So let me switch back to the slides. So this was the, the, the hybrid part I want to talk. I mean, there's obviously a lot of more things I would love to show you more about the file server and, and, and Azure file server and Azure files. And however, the time is uh, not enough to talk about this. So I will now switch to hyper-converged infrastructure. So you're probably familiar in Windows Server 2016, we introduced storage spaces direct and a couple of new Hyper-V features as well, and we improved those. And when we talk about, I mean, for most of you, this will be uh, you're something you already know, but for people who don't know, hyper-converged infrastructure or HCI um, really means that we combine compute and storage in together in one system. And in our case, this also means we can use very cheap commodity hardware or just commodity hardware and basically leverage that with the magic of software, right? We can go out and install Windows Server and that will be ha having all the logic for like say, uh, copying data between those systems. Before we had to have um, like a SAN infrastructure, a storage fabric, then our hypervisor servers and things like that. And this is really our hyper-converged offering and using the power of Windows Server um, to run that. 
And again, this is, would be a ton of talk, and I, I want to. I'm totally not able to <laughs> go in there and talk about every detail. But I want to show you something cool, uh, which is not just for the hyperconverged infrastructure, but mostly can be used. And this is not something which is in any way attached to the cloud. This is System Insights, and this is lo running locally on Windows Server 2019. So even if you don't have anything to do with Azure or you don't have any internet connectivity, you can leverage that. And System Insights is a service which gives you predictive uh, information about your system. So we are analyzing, or the service analyzes um, your performance counters and your event logs and gathers data, and then does some uh, machine learning on it and tells you, okay, what's going to happen in the future and gives you predictive information and proactive, uh, proactive management experience. So again, very important here, because it's natively built in Windows Server 2019. There is no need to like, have any connection uh, to the cloud, even to use the machine learning piece. Um, and it just runs on a local node. So today we have a built-in four different um, capabilities. So one is like, okay, volume consumption forecasting, total storage consumption forecasting, CPU capacity forecasting and network capacity forecasting. So those are the four uh, things which are built in. However, you can build your own. So it's really extensible, an extensible platform. And obviously we will add more capabilities in the future, um, but you can also extend it with your own uh, solution. So how does that look like? So quickly gonna show you here uh, how it looks like. So the UI again here, is built into Windows Admin Center, right? Um, we did not build a separate UI for this. This is really the UI to manage that is really in Windows Admin Center. And you can see here, I have an overview here about the different volumes. And you can see I have an alert here <laughs> that one of the volumes is expected to exceed the capacity in the next three days. Now you can drill into that and see, okay, look, that is what happened in the last couple of days. And that's what we expect depending on your existing usage uh, in the next couple of days, right? And that gives you your warning that your volume there will be ex uh, exceeding the capacity. You can also drill in deeper into that volume and you can see what's go what, what is going on. And then we also give you some actions uh, or recommended actions. Um, we're not just saying, okay, look, this is the problem. We also try to give you a solution to it. Um, so first of all, obviously, is like something you could do is extend the volume, right? If you have enough space to extend the volume, you just extend the volume. Um, you could use Azure FileSync. So if you're, for example, if this is a file server, Azure FileSync can help you and you can tier some data off to the cloud, or you can also just run a disk cleanup. Uh, there are more, more actions you can take, right? But this is like the, the things we can see and can tell you, okay, look, that's what you can do. And I showed you now that on slides, uh, as you can see um, on, uh, on, on that, but I also, in the UI part, but I also wanna show you the whole thing in PowerShell. So as I told you, you don't even need Windows Admin Center. It is built in into Windows Server. So I open up the PowerShell UI here and I have a, if I look at um, specific com PowerShell commands for system insights, 
you can see I have a couple of different commandlets here where you also have like enable commands and disable commands. So I already enabled the system insights capability. This is by the way, a feature, a Windows feature, which you need to install uh, to make it work. And then you need to enable those capabilities. That's already, I have already done. So let's see and say, okay, I wanna get the inside capabilities. So list me all this, these capabilities. And you can see now here that I have those four capabilities I was just talking about, CPU forecasting, network, storage, and volume consumption. So this is really what we wanna have. Now, I wanna go and see the status for one of these, right? So what I can do is I can go and say, get inside capability result. Uh, I can define the name. The name is, for example, the CPU forecasting. And if I press this, I get the following information back. So I can see the last run where we did a check. And then you can see that the status is okay. And the status description says, okay, CPU usage forecast uh, to remain within the available capacity. So everything seems to be okay. So you don't have to use Windows Admin Set. You can now just build this in into your existing um, monitoring solution and see if status, whenever the status is not okay, you can send basically an alert or create an alert uh, in your monitoring system and say, okay, um, uh, this system probably runs out in the future and you see that um, uh, in your monitoring system. So this is pretty cool. Uh, again, different ways of managing it. It's fully built and manageable by PowerShell, but you can also um, use it in a graphical way in Windows Admin Center. So there's uh, been a number of questions that have come in about System Insight. So it's a yep. pretty popular thing. Uh, system Insight ran on every server or centrally? Because you mentioned it was a feature, but where do you enable that? Oh, so the question is like, yeah, so where do I enable this? Um, so I can just go, there's two ways. I could go into the server manager and just go to add roles and features. I just need to wait a couple of seconds. And then um, I go down here, yes, yes. And then we have the roles here, but then on the features, I go down, I should have system insights and I can install it, enable it here directly. Or I can also use PowerShell, um, I think it's add Windows feature or install Windows feature. Let's go quickly here, just install. I do now a get Windows feature system in. Uh, Oh, yeah, I think, let me see. So we have, here we go. Because um, there was a space, yeah. Very, yeah, exactly. So, um, so basically you can just go and type install Windows feature and then uh, system dash inside, yep. So for a new build, you would just script that into your, your pre, well, before you start using it, like in your sysprep, when you're doing that stuff? Exactly, exactly. You can use it as a PowerShell script, but you can also use a unattend uh, XML file and add that feature in that um, when you want to enable it for all the servers. There is, a slight, there is a slight overhead though, but it's very small. Um, and you can find on the documentation page, you can four-prime model without the overhead you will have depending on your system. 
but however, it, it's not a large one. Don't expect a big impact on your system. Okay, great. Okay, perfect. So the next thing I want to talk a little bit about Windows storage. And again, this, this is a whole topic. I could speak like four hours uh, straight about what we did in storage. Um, but I was just want to quickly show you a little bit of an overview of what we did. And again, the whole storage management uh, integrated directly in Windows Admin Center. Um, if you're familiar with our a new file system or pretty new file system called REFS, we now added deep application support for it. Uh, we accelerated um, or did a better performance on major accelerated parity. So if you're running storage spaces direct, you have basically the option between mirror, which is basically a freeway mirror copy usually you do, which is the fastest storage option you had um, in, in, in Windows Server, as in storage spaces direct um, on your volumes, or you could do parity, which of course will give you the most efficient volumes, um, which gives like the layer lot, the, the don't lose as much storage as you do with the freeway mirror, obviously, where you only had 33% efficiency. And then we had something called the mirror accelerated parity. And this was a mix of a volume. So you could say, okay, 20% of my volume is mirrored and the other 80% is parity. So I get the benefit of both worlds. And we, we improved the performance there on that mode dramatically uh, by a couple of percent, a couple of percent here um, uh, to make that like a really good solution for you. However, you get still the best performance if you just choose mirror, but in mo in a lot of cases, mirror side parity will be now enough for you. Uh, we integrated storage class memory. I will talk a little bit about that later. Um, we have now cluster sets, which allows you, if you're running multiple clusters, you can put it in a cluster set and manage those multiple clusters like one large uh, identity. And then we added some scale um, for storage spaces direct. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that right now. So first of all, um, if we compare Windows Server 2016, we listened to our customers uh, and improved uh, some of our numbers. So especially now the maximum, maximum data you can use, it's now up to four petabyte uh, per cluster, you can now have up to 400 terabytes per server, and you can have a uh, higher maximum of, of numbers of volumes, and also the size of the volumes can now be up to 64 terabytes. Right, so that is a huge work for the team, a lot of testing we, which, which went into that uh, to improve those numbers. And then uh, with Windows Server 2016, we announced already a uh, a performance record kind of in terms of IOPS. So this uh, storage basis direct system there with 60 nodes, we got 6.6 .6 million uh, IOPS out of that. At Ignite last year, um, with Windows Server 2019 uh, and some new Intel storage technologies, um, we went up with uh, 13, uh, 13 million IOPS, sorry, um, in, a, in a smaller, even a smaller system. Um, however, that's a great performance. If you're really needing, like if you're really looking for a super high performance system, um, have a look at uh, have a look at the storage spaces direct technology. And this is basically enabled by persistent memory. So or persistent storage. Um, now obviously we had in the in the past we had different options we had uh, like physical hard disk, we had SSDs, then we had NVMe drives, which we used directly on the 
PCI Express Bus, for example, uh, or other very close um, uh, slots to the CPU. But then still the fastest thing as storage um, is basically memory. And so persistent memory is basically uh, a, a normal memory module. But again, as the name says, the storage can be persistent. So you get the speed um, of a memory DIN uh, with the capabilities to store data uh, persisted on it. And this enables a whole new scenario. Um, however, those memory DIMMs are usually, there are different technologies out there, um, but they're usually very, still very expensive. However, it's a great feature for, especially for caching solutions. So if you want to use it as a cache, as a write cache, um, this is a great, great way of doing it. If you have the, enough money in your bank uh, to get those. Um, and then obviously we also, again, uh, huge systems. We can go up to four terabytes are supported, uh, sorry, petabytes, um, where we can like, if you have that whole capacity, if you need the, the maximum of capacity out there for storage backups or archives, um, storage bases can also help, help you there. And then those are pretty good numbers, especially when you talk about big customers, right? When you have big deployments and, and you want to have the latest, the best performance or the biggest capacity. But we also did some, or the team did some work on um, for smaller environments where you have a two-node cluster, for example. So the problem was in a two-node cluster in Windows Server 2016, you could have a cluster. And if one drive failed in one of the systems, everything is fine. Uh, if one, just one of the servers completely failed, everything was fine. However, if you had one of the servers fail and the disk failed uh, in the other server, you had a big problem, right? Uh, and now with nested resiliency in Windows Server 2019, uh, we worked, the team worked on that uh, to exactly address that issue. And so we can now survive like two drive failures in both servers, like in two servers, or we can like lose a complete server and have a drive failure in the other one. And so make sure that even if you have a small deployment, this can also be in a branch office or something like that, where you do a small deployment of storage spaces direct, um, that you survive your errors there as well. And then I, this will just quickly show you um, the software-defined networking stack. Uh, a lot of improvements there. Uh, we now bring virtual network peering, encrypting of subnets, uh, IPv6, dual stack support, uh, we improved the gateway performance and much, much more, uh, which went to the SCN stack um, uh, of Windows Server 2019. Okay, so with that, I wanted to quickly, we have only have a couple of minutes left. I want to quickly go to uh, and mention Azure Stack HCI solution. I did a lot of presentation on that. And Azure, Azure Stack ACI solutions um, are basically part of our Azure Stack offering. Um, so we have Azure, we have uh, Azure Stack, which brings down, as I mentioned, the Azure services and comes as a uh, appliance. But then we also offer Azure Stack HCI, which is built on the same hardware and the same software. However, gives you same validation, but it's mostly designed to run virtualization workloads. So it's a validated hardware together with Windows Server 2019 and Windows Admin Center um, for you, like predefined. So if you want to buy the right hardware for storage spaces direct, for example, um, you can go out and buy a Azure Stack HCI system. Good. 
So let me quickly switch. Uh, again, you can also then connect that up as I showed you to Azure with different ways. Um, talk about site recovery, Azure backup, and much, much more. I just showed you that. And again, in the back end, it's store spaces direct uh, and, and other solutions as well. And the big thing really here, um, and I think that I cannot stress enough, this is really pre-tested systems and validated systems. And we simulated uh, like one year of activities on those systems. We make sure that you had the right network cards and the right network drivers and the right network <laughs> firmwares, et cetera, um, uh, and did a validation on that. So you can be sure that the hardware really works together uh, with the software part. Good. So the next thing I want to talk about is security. Uh, and again, there's a ton of things going on, but I want to only highlight two. First of all, the Windows Defender ATP uh, now also allows you to add Windows Server. So you can now add Windows Server 2019 um, to that to that like cloud service, and you can see if there's something strange going on uh, on your servers, you will get basically notified uh, and get you can basically go and see what spread is going on. Uh, in those systems, as you can do right now with Windows 10, or like as you could for Windows 10 machines for a long time already. And the other thing we did is improvements in um, uh, in, in encrypted virtual machines. Um, so uh, where we were running um, uh, virtual machines, we encrypted them uh, using VSM. So uh, we called that shielded virtual machines. And we did, that was already implemented in 2016. However, we did some improvements on these. Um, so it now run, allows you to run uh, Linux in the shielded virtual machines. Uh, we did a lot of different work. Again, this is a whole list. I, I don't want to go through all of that. But what could be also very interesting, what I want to mention is the single host binding for shielded virtual machines. So what is that? So think about you have this um, special uh, workstations, the secure admin workstations, SOS or, uh, or or whatever name you have for those to manage your environments. And admins are only allowed to manage um, the, uh, the environment from those specific VMs or, or virtual machines. So you can bind those virtual machines to a specific admin notebook and it's encrypted, so there's nothing can go in or out of that VM, and the admin can just log into that VM. He's not able to copy that VM to somewhere else, to another machine, because it won't run, right? So this is also something super interesting, um, which we also do Hyper-V work on the client on the Windows 10 side. Good, and then we'll go to the last one. Um, again, we have a couple of things to cover here in the application innovation. And there I have a ton of different things. So first of all, a big news, I think, usually people applaud when they see that um, in-place upgrade support. So we're finally supporting in-place upgrades from earlier versions of Windows Server. Um, this can be Windows Server 2016 or Windows Server 2012 R2, and you can basically run an in-place upgrade. However, my personal opinion is always Think about it if you really need to do that. If a clean install in some scenarios this might be a better option or it might be even faster to do, right? But I know there are a couple of servers out there uh, which you probably don't have any manuals how they were installed. You don't have any configuration files. You don't have anything left. Um, the people who set that server up are probably already left the company. 
um, and you still want to upgrade it. And this is one way um, you can do it now, just with a simple in-place upgrade. We also did a lot of, or the team did a lot of work in container, as, as I mentioned before, I gave you the speech about the stack releases. They are also, all the innovation obviously also goes in Windows Server 2019. So if you, for example, here, uh, we have a look at this nano server container image. So in the one down, you can see the, um, the normal nano server image, which was 2016 image, which was like a gigabyte of size. And if you now look at, which was here in this print screen called the nano server inside release, you can see it's now 200 megabytes in size. And we went for the latest reason we named went down. I think it's now under 100 megabytes in size um, total. And then we also brought Linux uh, basically to Windows Server. So with the Windows subsystem for Linux, um, we allow you to basically run a Linux shell on Windows Server directly. So if you run any Windows tools um, on your system um, or you need a Linux tool, um, you can do that basically on your Windows Server like you can do that on Windows 10. We also ported some tools uh, from Linux Opera. So you can use tar or curl now. There's a curl X and tar X now. So if you're used to using that and you can use that uh, now also on Windows Server as well as on Windows 10, by the way. We also ported OpenSSH, so you can now con set up an OpenSSH server um, on your Windows server and connect using SSH to your um, Windows server. Or even if you do, power, do it with PowerShell Core 6, you can use SSH transport, so you can do PowerShell remoting over SSH, which is pretty cool. And if you think about it, you can then go from Linux to a Windows machine and from there, Again, you could go to another Linux machine using S not your normal SSH, open SSH clients, or even PowerShell 6 um, to do those remote connections. Again, very simple to install, by the way, if you want the open SSH client. Um, it's just a optional feature in Windows 10. And if you want to install it um, on Windows Server, you can just run get Windows capabilities and then do an online for open SSH. And you can see how you can add it using the add Windows capability and then open SSH server or open SSH client, whatever you want to use. And there are some blog posts out there which explain you how to configure them um, as well as the open SSH server on Windows. Um, so you can do your remote connections as well. And then here, you have print screen of the SSH client, which you can run on Windows 10 as well as on Windows server. We also worked, or the Hyper-V team also redesigned the UAV start menu of a virtual machine running on Hyper-V, made it a little bit simpler view at, gave you a nice big restart button um, for that VM. So what I want to show you quickly in demo is the Windows subsystem for Linux. And if I go in here, quickly go back to my demo environment. Already have the folder open. Nope, I have the folder open here. So I'm here on my C drive and I have a folder called distros where I already downloaded and unzipped basically the Ubuntu image. So I'm going here in that Ubuntu, Ubuntu folder. And if I have a look at that folder, you can see here that multiple files, but the most interesting one here is the Ubuntu 
uh.exe. If I run that, I'm now starting the uh, Windows subsystem for Linux uh, with the Ubuntu distribution. So I can basically go and do different things. So if I go do clear here, so I can do a new name in say, you will see now that I'm basically running a Linux here. And the funny thing, what I like here, it's called it's called the Microsoft kernel because we're running here with a on on the Windows right directly. Uh, I can also do things like up to get update, for example. Uh, see if that works. So uh, if I would do a sudo and if I would do it right, it would also work. But you get the point. Um, I basically have here my, my shell. I have also, um, sorry, this is H, um, XC available and things like that. So I can do use all the, the familiar um, uh, Linux tool I, 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 know, I know, right? And again, if I leave that, sorry about that, just go out here. I also have the tools here available. So for example, tar uh, um, and curl. So again, you can see they're available here directly in Windows 10. They're not just available in the Windows subsystem for Linux, they're really available just in Windows 10, right? And to enable that, again, this is a feature, the Windows subsystem for Linux is a feature, and then you need to download your um, distro, and you can find that on the docs with the links to the different distros you can install on Windows Server um, as well. Good, then we are almost at the end. Um, I quickly want to talk about one thing I promised you from the beginning already. Um, so, as you know, we have Windows Server with desktop experience, and we also have the Windows Server Core option. And we are highly recommending to use the Server Core option, um, where you get like a less a smaller attack surface, um, less things to manage, and we recommend using Admin Center to manage your Server Cores remotely, right? together with PowerShell or whatever you like. However, there are some challenges with that. Um, again, we know that not everyone is familiar with Core. We try to create a better management experience um, with Windows Admin Center. Um, but there are also some local-only tools or installers which have requirements on uh, local-only tools, or they have requirements. For example, if you think about write controller software, sometimes they have a web front end to configure the right controller, right, or to monitor it. And this is very difficult to do on the server core where you don't have Internet Explorer and things like that. So what we have there is basically the server core app compatibility feature on demand um, package or the feature on demand package. Uh, this is the one you can download. It's like around three to 400 megabytes in size. Um, and then you can basically add that to your Windows Server core, and this will give you different old, uh, tools, like for example, the cluster manager or some other local only UI tools. It even can give you Internet Explorer on your Windows Server core if for some reason um, you need it. Again, a right controller setup or an application which really depends on it, um, you can add that to that as well. So you don't really need to have the full um, uh, desktop experience installed. So with the last thing, um, 
or the last two, three things uh, which are coming, I want to highlight something else. Um, so Windows Server 2008 and 2008 R2 are coming to, uh, to an end um, very, very soon. So you should think about different things about upgrading those servers, uh, but we also give you two different options. So the one down you can see, you can stay on premise. Um, if you wanna keep running Windows Server 2008 and 2008 to still get extended security support, you have to buy this and then upgrade it basically to Windows Server 2019 as soon as you can. Um, this is one of the options you have. Uh, if you migrate your servers to 2008, uh, your 2008 and 2008 R2 servers um, to Azure, you get three years of extended security upgrades for free. Um, so you have more time uh, to basically plan your upgrades to Windows Server 2019 um, or even then a later version uh, which might come out. So this is very important to know. Um, so if you're running a lot of Windows, uh, Windows Server 2008 and 2008 R2 systems, um, make sure you think about the different options uh, you have out there. And then a lot of people always ask me about System Center 2019. It's, as you know, it's right now available uh, to download. Uh, again, it brings support for Windows Server 2019. Uh, it improves operations. And also one of the other big things we have here is the Azure integration. So a lot of inter Azure integration I showed you in, in, in Windows Admin Center is now also available in System Center 2019. And again, Windows Admin Center is not there to replace System Center. It's more as an extending, uh, extending or another management options you have, right? If you're running System Center, you're already gonna keep running that, but for some specific admin task uh, or as a tool, instead of logging into a specific server, uh, you basically go out and use Windows Admin Center. And for smaller environments, basically, you can just use Windows Admin Center and you get some more management capabilities. So if you want to learn more, I highly recommend that you follow our blog, the itopstalk.com blog, um, where we, uh, which means our team, uh, basically are blogging about ITOps-related stuff. Um, this can be from on-prem, Windows Server, Active Directory, PowerShell, up to Azure, Office 365 topics. Um, so whatever you, you like there, uh, there's a lot of different things uh, which might be interesting to to you. And then I'm also very happy if you follow me on my on Twitter and on my blog. Um, so I'm also trying to always write a couple of blogs about the latest and greatest stuff uh, which is out there or some how-tos, how to do different things. So with that, I want to say thank you for your time. Um, it was really a pleasure again to be here as another, for another session. I want to thank Tom uh, for, for your time here. And um, yeah, I hope can be here for another time. That'd be great, yeah. Um, these are you know, things that we really, we need to hear about. It's good to see what's coming out for, for uh, Microsoft and all the different things that, especially with like this Windows subsystem for Linux, that's you know, a completely different Microsoft than when I was a server admin. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really, really changed when I think back about the time frame with Windows Server 2000 or, or even earlier, um, times were a little bit different where we as Microsoft probably just saw um, ourselves 
and that was the world. Uh, and now I think um, it's really a different Microsoft where we see different options. Um, and the same thing also with the story we have with VMware on Azure now, um, or with the scenarios we have with GitHub. I, I think it, it is really a different world. And um, we understand that there are different customers with different needs, uh, and we will just want to help <laughs> them as much as possible. Yep. So if you got, I know we're at the at time, but if you got a few more minutes, we've got uh, quite a few questions to uh, Dr. Mbai here. Yep, absolutely. So uh, going back to System Insights, is there any issues with running System Insights on a vSphere virtual machine? Is, is it still accurate? Um, yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, so if you run a Windows Server 2019 virtual machine on vSphere, uh, that should not be any issue at all. That should not make a difference. Uh, it's not uh, depending on any hypervisor or anything. Um, it can also run on a physical machine uh, directly. It can run in a virtual machine on VMware, Hyper-V, whatever. That That's not, an, not a dependency. And what, using System Insight, can you use that as a trigger to automatically extend the volume if it is a virtual machine? or? Yeah, so... You basically, well, System Insight just checks what, what um, uh, what's going on and gives you predictive information. Um, if you want to automatically take a reaction, you would need to script that or use an automation tool to do that, right? But you can always check the status and then um, say, okay, like in a very simple scenario, for example, you could go and say, um, uh, schedule task, which checks that and then basically runs a script. If, mm -hmm that case is not, is, is like happening. Um, or if you have some more sophisticated orchestrators and monitoring tools, you can basically build that um, with those tools as well. And then finally for System Insight, uh, is that for 2019 only or is it available for 2016 as well? So System Insight is only available in Windows Server 2019. Uh, one question about in-place upgrade. Is there any plan to do in, to allow in-place upgrade from 2008 R2? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I wish um, uh, I, I could say yes. Um, I don't know if there are any plans. I'm not aware of any right now. Um, I'm not going to say no on that. Or the team is not looking because I heard that from many, many customers. But I can also... I, I cannot say what the team is doing there. Um, but today there is nothing uh, we can do, unfortunately, from 2008 and 2008 or two. Yeah, so um, then we'll conclude with Windows Subsystem for Linux. Uh, are the SSH keys shared between uh, WSL and Windows? So yeah, so the the, the files um, that's a, that's very good. So today the the WSL um, basically uses in the back end a the Windows file system. So you can go from the Explorer, uh, from the Windows Explorer, and basically browse the file system um, of uh, your uh, your um, uh, Windows, uh, sorry, from your Linux distribution and vice versa. So you can, if you go into WSL, you can basically go to uh, the C drive, for example, of your uh, PC, or even if you have multiple drives, they are mounted into that distribution. So you can basically browse those, the files from Windows uh, in the subsystem for Linux and from window, uh, from the subsystem in Linux on Windows. All right. 
That's awesome. Uh, the core app compatibility, is that supported along with the uh, LTSC? Yes, so the core, I, I'm not even sure if it's supported with others. Uh, right now, I think it's only supported with, Windows, with the LTSC releases. So this, this app package comes with, is, is right now, I think, just for Windows Server 2019. Um, I think that's the first and last time I saw it. So it's only for, for that. Um, not for the SAC releases. All right. Well, uh, that wraps up our questions. And thank you so much. And it was very early where you're at. So uh, we <laughs> appreciate your time and, you know, and every, all the, the great information. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you for all those awesome questions. I uh, really appreciate those. Um, and I hope, again, we can be part of another V Brown back session which hopefully is then not at 3.30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see if we can work with you. We'll, we'll, we've got a uh, European channel, which may be more to your liking. Perfect. All right. All right. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, and we'll see you next week.